Hey folks, if you like listening to Stumble Through, there's now a way you can support the show. Click the link in the show notes to make a once-off donation through the ACAST supporter feature. There's no ongoing commitment and you can give as little or as much as you'd like. I love making the podcast and I'd like to keep making it. So even if it's just the price of a coffee, every little bit helps. Thanks so much. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. I pay my respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past and present. How do you find the time when you can't find pause? A confirmation once your face is gonna open some doors. You do what you gotta do to stumble through. Hello folks and welcome to Stumble Through, the podcast for young Australian adults figuring shit out. I'm your host, Paula Arujo. I'm a writer, theatre creator and marketer. I am a short white woman with a snazzy 70s inspired haircut and I feel like the shaggy look really complements like these giant nerdy glasses that I've got going on. Um, This week we are doing a creative career spotlight on working in film with Dom from Dominic Murphy Moving Image. Hey Dom, how are you going? Good, Paula. Thank you so much for having me. Second time on the show as well. Nice to be back. Oh, it's lovely to have you back. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. It makes me feel a little bit older as well to like share my wisdom. I don't, I'll see how much I can highlight, but I'd like to think that I'm being close to 30. You have a bit more insight, I think, than you did say a few years ago when you were at film school. So we'll see how (laughs) it (laughs) goes. I mean, like we all hope, right? Like as the approaches, we're like, I hope I know more. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so would you like to introduce yourself for our lovely listeners? Of course. So my name is Dominic Murphy. I'm a tall, white British boy who loves coffee, tea and pineapples so much that I've even got a pineapple tattoo. Um, <laughs> that's so do we want to talk about the placement of that tattoo? <laughs> the pineapple tattoo is, the story with that is I, well, I always wanted a tattoo and I got one we decided on our drunken night with my two best friends who i've known since high school moving to australia that we would all get a tattoo that symbolizes our friendship together and we couldn't think of something and we were going to go to like the tattoo parlor in fortitude valley drunk and we thought it was like, oh, a good idea and then my friend luke knew a um tattoo artist in north side and he basically said oh she can do it and we thought pineapples because pineapples are fun and quirky and different but also the story with that is have you ever been to the Woodford Folk Festival? I haven't, no. So the Woodford Folk Festival has a bar called the Pineapple Lounge. And what the, a, few, a New Year's before, um, I was in a very emotional state and like had just gone through a breakup. Another friend of mine had also gone through a breakup and we were quite lonesome. And then we just went to New Year's together with our friends and we just had an amazing time. And then we had lots of pina colada cocktails at the pineapple lounge and that's just a good memory and then also just like a really good new year's because it was like the starting and rebirth um so when you think about when i look at my little pineapple it's on my foot ankle if i didn't mention before and um 
just to symbolize fun times and friendship. But then when I got it done, and also being a, I'm a family of all boys, okay? And out of the five of us, four of us have tattoos, but I have, I have my tiny little one on my foot. Um, I've got a brother who has his whole back done. He's slowly building a bit of a bodysuit. Um, the other one's got Japanese sleeves on his arm. Even my oldest brother, who's married with children, has a little tattoo on his bicep. His wife has one. So we keep joking with my brother, Kieran, who refuses to get tattoos to get one done. But then when I got my pineapple one done, my um, my pair, my Santa for Christmas in my stocking, it was all pineapple themed. So it was all like chocolate pineapples, chocolate um uh, like pineapple underwear and socks. <laughs> sorry, chocolate pineapple underwear. Now that is no. So sorry, yeah. Was, <laughs> I realised the stumble, mum, the mumble there. It was um chocolate pineapples and then underwear and socks. There was all there was just the whole stocking was very themed. Well, that's good. Yeah, because I so was thinking sorry with like, that. perfect. Because <laughs> I was thinking like chocolate underwear doesn't seem very functional. No. But and no. I don't think anybody want to nibble at that anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> but I love how we're like, especially we're doing a career spotlight, but that, that whole little story has nothing to do with film, which is a good little segue into what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Oh, look, I think that it's important that people get to know you, you know? Oh, yeah, of course. But uh, saw, the other things, yeah, like coffee is also a good fuel for my yeah. work as well. It's something, <laughs> given my background, I used to be a waiter and a barista and burger flipper to pass the time and coffee always is a good fuel so if you don't like coffee listeners i would recommend you get on it because it's good fuel for fire in this industry to keep you awake or even a cup of tea at the end of the day is also nice but then it just makes you sound more british when you go to a job and you're like, i can't believe there's no earl gray on set <laughs> and we're like, i love that and if there are any other brits on set they're just like all huddled together and we just like drink our tea with our fingers up all right, so getting into it, have you stumbled through anything this week? Have I stumbled through anything this week? Yes, I stumbled onto a construction site yesterday. You okay? Oh, yeah, no, it was for work, but then the job didn't um, unfortunately go ahead. But I was, no. was sometimes for work, what I do is I do what's called a location scout, where you basically go, if you're talking to a client and you want to inspect the location of where you're going to be filming, you ask to do a location scout so you can figure out where your cameras can go where you can go as a person, any clearances that need to be sorted out. Um, and it just helps visualize things before you go into more planning and filming. So yeah. that was, so, and you just go take photos, you take reference points, you meet the builder, you meet people that need to be meeting. Um, so yeah, I can't, and that was at like a good eight o'clock in the morning yesterday. So that was like that, if you can call that a stumble, I stumbled onto a site, didn't hurt my head, didn't hit my head. So I'm in, Perfect. In the next yeah. And I guess like, um, what was, it's not a site inspection. It was a site scout. Scouting site? Location what? scout is what Location. So it's location, yeah. So that's the correct term. We basically go to, as I say, you check out the location, you check out all the logistics, basically. Awesome. So I guess location scouting would also be pretty important in terms of budgeting, both 100%. for you and for the client, because you could be like, so we discussed it based on these terms. And now that I've gotten to the site and I've seen it, this is going to require like a very different sort of set of equipment or something and so that could up the price or down the price or something like that 100%. so you can in a situation like that you go in thinking about knowing what kind of cameras you're going to be using or knowing how you're going to light it how you're going to stage it in my field of work at the moment as well being a freelance videographer filmmaker you have to think more about the narrative as well about how you think about 
what's visually going to be the most appealing, but you've also got to think about log- the logistics is the biggest thing. And I want to say logistics, it could be clearances. Like what have you, you got to wear, what kind of footwear have you got to wear? In a situation like that, you need steel cap boots to be on site so that you, c- you can't rock up in a pair of sneakers, for example. Mm. Or if you're going, say, or another example would be, say you're going to a rainforest. So in the past few years ago, when I worked on a Holden commercial, I didn't go on this location scout, but you met, heads of department who would tell you that okay we're going to need a scrim we need to put like a big light thing because the sun's going to come up over here and then at like eight o'clock the sun's going to be right on the talent's face and they're not going to be able to see so you just figure out logistics about that or another person would say oh we should put a smoke machine out here we're going to figure out a way how to get a smoke machine put in here or how are we going to the best ways to get the holding car in position where's the best way to get it through and then muddy it up and make it dirty that's if it's like, if there's like, in a situation like that, where you're selling a product as well, like you've got to make the product key. How are you going to light the product? How are you going to light this? Where can the crew go? And then there's also, and if you want to talk in a narrative perspective, like a short film or a drama, perhaps you have to think about the line of action and the line of action being, it's hard for listen. Best way to describe it for listeners is you have in a simple two people talking scenario, you have two cameras each other so say if we were from having a conversation you and i paula i would have one camera on you and then another camera would be on me and then you would just have to figure out the placement of the camera you can't cross the line of action being that's like say if you're on the left of frame i have to be on the right of frame for the continuity all right if i'm doing that that means i've got to move all my lights that means i've got to move all my props so you just got to figure out how that all gets done as well where are my actors going to be and then there's blocking there's all sorts of things you've got to figure out in a narrative perspective as well and there's continuity as well so like in a narrative perspective if like if you have props and things that you've got to move you've got to somebody's got to figure out where this thing's like say if this pen for example was here and then it got picked up and put back that in a different spot and you have to do a second take you go all right it's got to go back to this spot what's the name of the person who looks it's not like is it a gopher it's not the gaffer because that's different continuity is that person's name so gaffer Ah. so a gaffer is in charge of lights and then they have best boy lighting and grips that also help out with theirs. So basically the gaffer is like, the best way to describe it is like, there's also, we're kind of expanding a little bit from this. <laughs> um, in the film world, especially, there's a triangle, okay? And there's a triangle about in terms of like how the authority goes, about who runs the show. At the top of that triangle is the producer because they're the ones with the money. And they're the ones that at the end of the day get the final say. It's not the director. The director is the creative person. You can be Steven Spielberg and say, we're going to put this amazing thing. It's going to look fantastic. But then the producer from Warner Brothers is going to be like, no, Steven, we got, that's too expensive. We got to <laughs> do it this way. Um, or if JJ Abrams wants like 60 lens for theirs, then the studio going to be like, no, JJ, that's too many. So it would go like, so it would go producer, director, then it would be the executive producers. The executive producers would be in charge of um, distributing the film and figuring out all the product and getting it out to the world. And then there's head of HODs and their heads of department. So the heads of department could be um, production designer is the head of a department for the sets. The costume designer is the head of the costumes. The cinematographer is the head of the camera department. There's the sound designer and the sound team. They're in charge of sound. And then just like as this, the triangle just gets bigger and bigger and bigger like there's a reason why credits on tv shows and films are so long is because there are hundreds of people in different departments and then right at the bottom you may even find me sometimes as like a runner basically <laughs> the guy that like gets people coffee or runs an actor to set sometimes which i have had to do where i've literally i've literally had just like an actor in my car one time driving him to set and then just like getting him to getting 
the director coffee or one time you get asked the director announces that he's sick and he wants to get coffee for example or not sick not sick sorry he um wants to get he's sick and he wants panadol so then i had to i had to go run to a gas works to get him panadol but then something like that gets you a job suddenly that the yeah. director remembers who you are to get you and then they know your name which is always a good thing and then for some next thing you know you're booked on two more commercials in the next couple of weeks yeah. But, yeah, that's the, but yeah the structure is so good there's like scouts are used for like heads of department to figure out the best logistics of how things are done that's in a large scale term and then for somebody like me currently who runs his own business you got to think at a much smaller scale because you're everybody you're all those people yeah the logistics become big, a little bit literally yeah so there's like a big triangle for bigger products and then if you're working like me in your solo business it's a much smaller triangle even like today for example i was on, i had a scout and a meeting with a client about a project and then pretty much my entire afternoon was figuring out okay how am i going to light this how am i going to shoot it how many days do i need how much is it going to cost and that just also comes down to experience and figuring out how that's all going to work but yeah. um, you're basically consolidating do hundreds of people's jobs into one <laughs> super easy i'm sure i'm sure i know i always love the phrase that jeremy clarkson used to say on top here which is like how hard can it be <laughs> quite, hard. quite hard actually <laughs> quite hard actually well i guess you know you you've now started your own business and you run your own small business like how did you get there can you give a little bit of an overview of your career journey so far oh yes so um basically I always wanted to get into the film industry in some way or capacity. That's something I'm just one of those people that always knew what he wanted to do when he was a kid and didn't want to do anything else. I'm the kind of person that like the thing that I fell in love with as a kid was Wallace and Gromit people. This is a true story. Like I just yeah. love the process of stop motion animation, which I learned about how people used to do things frame by frame, taking a picture to make that process move. So very early on, I actually loved animation. I thought I could do animation and you realize animation is quite hard. So as, yeah. kids, as kids, me and my mates, we always used to make stop motion videos with our Legos kits to do. That was one of our creative aspects and ends. Um, we used to spoof Star Wars movies and James Bond movies. Like there are movies out there that you will never find on YouTube of like really bad spy movies. I challenge the listeners to find them. <laughs> the DVDs got burned years ago. Oh, no. um, for those of you listening, DVDs are used to how you used to watch movies. Oh, like dvds and cds were only around for a hot minute it was yeah. so so quick Gone. yeah streaming killed the dvds and blu-rays um yeah. but then yeah so then i always wanted to just get into movie making and i just loved the process and i loved the storytelling aspect of it and then i moved from england to australia in 2008 and still loved that passion but then i didn't find an avenue where i thought i could do that as a career choice but i knew that's something i wanted to do did you and- Sorry to interrupt. Did you feel like there was more opportunity for you in the UK or less? Or did you only just sort of start exploring the actual practical ways to enter the film industry once you got to Australia? That's a good question. Um, when Yes, when I started, when I wanted to pursue that as a career, I, th- I was like, I was 14 years old and thought that it was an easy choice going into the arts world. Um, when you get to your 20s and you finish university and realize that it's actually quite hard to find a job afterwards, you learn that um, countries and places have different, um, they offer different projects and things. So, and I'll explain that in the best way to describe it. So if you think about the UK, the UK is pretty much its own film industry. It's got 
Harry Potter, it's got James Bond, it's got the BBC, it's got all sorts of things going on all the time. And um, in Australia, state by state, to give you a rundown. So Queensland is very popular for TV commercials. New South Wales and Victoria are very popular for features. And that's because Um, they have the big sound stages, right? Like they've actually got the infrastructure to create them. But yes, but it's also been very good in the last few years for Queensland because we've actually managed to acquire a lot of features. More recently, we've had um, like Thor Ragnarok, we've had Aquaman, we've had Dora the Explorer. Um, A couple of friends of mine just came off working on Ron Howard's new movie about 13 Lives, about the time when he's boys that got trapped in the cave. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's also and lots of TV shows about the young young rock about Dwayne Johnson. So more recently, Queensland has been getting more and more features and TV shows, which is good. It's also due to the, the fact that the pandemic in Hollywood, especially in Hollywood, they can't film over there. So they're actually looking externally for other countries where they can do it. Yeah, no, it sounds like Queensland in particular is experiencing a boom in the creative work that's available because of the way that we've handled the pandemic, um, as the kids are calling it, I believe. Yes, so, yeah. yes, we have. It's just a very hard thing to crack, and I'm happy to talk about that more. <laughs> the um, but yeah, basically, I learned that later on in life. At the point when I was 14, I just wanted to like get into school and figure out what I wanted to do. But then I learned at the school I went to at Balmoral, they had a film and new media class, so you could actually do film studies a little bit. And I started um, getting to the habit of um, watching more movies and le- making short montages and clips, and then learning a bit more about the history of film. And we'd learned a lot about some of the history of cinema and the cult cult films. I had to do an essay on one of my favorite movies, Stanley Kubrick's *The Clockwork Orange*. I was the only person in the class that did the essay, did that film because everybody else did um, Rocky Horror, which is not discrediting Rocky Horror, but it was also like, I loved the, I just fell in love with, that was when I started to get into the habit of learning about directors and the process. So I fell in love with Stanley Kubrick movies. And then I worked my butt off and I even did a guest program of, with Griffith Film School when I was at in grade 12 at Sheldon College. I was also going to, I was an ambassador for Labart Theatre Company. Where yeah, I that's about, how we met. Which is how we met, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was good to learn about how to work with actors. So I was getting a bit of a mindset to try and get my fingers in all sorts of different areas. And that's when I, and then in grade 12, I applied for Griffith Film School and I got in, which was amazing. Oh. A fantastic opportunity. I did take a year off after finishing school because I wanted to be 18 and have fun. So Yeah, I think that, I, I don't know, on the one hand, I do wish that I'd also taken that break between high school and university. But on the other hand, that would mean that I wouldn't have met or at least be as close with the people that I met at uni. And, and I wouldn't trade that. But I think that people are in such a rush or kids sometimes feel, kids, they're not necessarily kids, but high school is feel this external pressure to go straight from high school to the next learning institution. And I think that it actually is far more beneficial to spend some time out in the world. Hmm. If there's any good advice I can give to anybody listening, it would be take a break before you start your studies because you want, and traveling is the best exposure to the world that you can get. It's tricky at the moment, given the world we live in at the moment, but I got to travel around Australia and I saw parts of Australia that most of my friends have never seen, but it was a real, a real eye opener. Or even years later, I got to do seven weeks trekking through Southeast Asia. And that was amazing because I, I'd like to think that before you get to your thirties or you settle down and have a family, it's great to be exposed to world cultures and 
have these opportunities to go and do these things. And I just made the judgment call to take a break because you put in the work and I think you earn a break, but also it's good mentally for you to prepare yourself because high school is not the same as university, especially especially the film school environment where you actually learn that it's a lot harder to crack. But um, this is just me talking now, but like when I started at film school, I just fell in love with it instantly. I just clicked straight away because it's what I always wanted to do. And you've got to have the passion for it and you've got to have the drive for it. And if you don't have that passion or the drive and not the thick skin, then you're going to have a really hard time cracking this industry, which I've noticed a lot happened in the cohort. We started with like over 200 students and then ended with about 780 because so many people just couldn't crack it or figure out. And so, yeah, basically after that year off, I went into film school for three years and everybody goes in thinking that they're going to be the next big director. But then you actually learn that there are so many different roles and jobs like I was talking about before in that triangle talking about how there are so many different departments and roles that you can go into and I ended up falling in love with cinematography and editing and that was a real eye-opener because then you learn about one of my favorite classes I remember taking was like turning paintings into shots so you could turn a a Monet painting into a shot with your mate and just light it and compose it that way to learn about exposure and then just watch films and tv shows with a creative eye more than a just a viewer eye, if that makes sense. So like, look at how a film is shot, look at how the sound design is, listen to the music, how it's done, go at it with a different perspective. And that was a real opener. And then basically those three years, you learn about the film industry in a nutshell, and then you learn about the roles and different departments that there are. And then in your final year, you, I worked on short films that you basically write and produce and do yourself. So then I worked on four films because I was an idiot instead of three because I thought I could do it because I thought I could handle it. But I made sure they were all camera roles so that I could learn camera department lingo. So two of those movies, I short films, I was like an assistant and I was a gaffer. And then one, I was actually the cinematographer. So I storyboarded and planned everything with the director. A cinematographer is basically the cameraman. He and she is the look of the, because there are female operators out there, listeners, not just men. <laughs> um, their task is basically the look of the film. So when you watch a film or a TV show and see how it's framed and shot, you're basically, the cinematographer comes up with the overall look of the film. They collaborate with the director about how it's going to look pretty much in terms of lens choices, color, lighting. It can be pretty straightforward. It could be artistic. So like one of my favorite cinematographers that you should list, a couple I can list off for you now would be like Emmanuel Lebesky. He shot Revenant and Birdman and Gravity and he won Oscars for that. There's also um, Vittorio, no, I can't remember his name, but he shot The Deer Hunter. My all-time favorite would be Roger Deakins, who did not, most recently 1917, which was this one-take wonder World War I movie, which is a nightmare to film and figure out, by the way. Um, but basically, Wait, One-take wonder? What? One-take wonder being where the whole film is one shot. How... Now, when you say one shot, like it looks like it's one shot. It so looks it like lives. it's one shot. So it's in, basically like they made the creative choice to make the movie feel like it was taking place in real time. Oh, so no okay. And that you, the camera was a third pair of eyes following these soldiers through the trenches in France and Germany. But yeah, the cinematographer is basically in charge of the, the look of the film and how it looks and how it's shot. And they collaborate with the director about how that's going to be achieved. And they also collaborate with production designers about how it's going to look as well in terms of set. And then 
to elaborate as well about the editor, the editor is basically in charge of splicing everything together, cutting it all together in the editing room, which at the moment, especially in the current climate, is what I do a lot of my time in with my business, where you're editing for clients and basically you're cutting the overall film. You're creating the editor basically pieces together all the film. You've got hours and months and days of footage all consolidated down to like a two-hour film. Right. So as a cinematographer, you decide sort of the, the aesthetic of the film. Um, yes. I'm assuming that you would either have final say or at least a big say in like a storyboard. So like you'd storyboard the film and you say, we want this shot, we want this shot, we want this shot. The storyboarding is mostly done, is actually done by the director most times, but the cinematographer also does storyboarding as well. Most cinematographers don't storyboard, but it's highly encouraged that you do. Me personally, I storyboard a lot of my stuff. Um, That's just good for you because like you're a one person. So it's a logistical nightmare because you can't just be like, oh, and let me just go over here. And then let me just move all of my lights and my sound equipment again and again. Exactly. In a, so in a big environment, you have a team of people that would help you do that. You would have assistants and people that would help you do that. And um, especially like the cinematographer, he has assistants. She, he or she has assistants that basically like focus pulling, being like the focus of how making sure everything's in focus. Another person which I've done as the second assistant is the slating, which ties into editing. The slate is basically, if you've ever seen any movies behind the scenes, yeah, it's, it's like, the fun little, like yeah. market, that little clapper actually is designed for the sound team to let them know in editing that's how you sync sound with vision mm. and that's how they did it back in the day, early days of hollywood when sound was introduced how they int- incorporated sound with the clips but also the information on the slate it tells the editor or editors what the scene is what the take is and then they will let know because you never get it in take one that's a given you never get it in take one. You always get it in like take six or 12. Or if you're David Finch, you get it in take 99. <laughs> oh my God. There was, um, there's this movie, one of my favorite movies. I think that you would love this for the cinematography, um, but also just for the overall art. Um, it's called Frances Ha. And she did, I think, like yes. 72 takes of that one scene in the bathroom. But she also shot it on a Canon 5D as well. I so, don't know what that means. So it's a, a DSLR, so like a small... I don't know what that means either. What's a DSLR? Okay, I will elaborate. A DSLR is um, basically a photography camera. So the kind of cameras you use to take pictures. So what happened? what's happened over the last two decades, nearly three decades now, is cameras are becoming a lot smaller because people used to shoot on film, physical film. And now we shoot on small cameras, small digital cameras, because they're faster. Instead of like reels of film, they're on digital cards and cameras so basically you're given a card now instead of reels of film to go through and it's digitized so Mm. it's digital like you could film something on your phone you know you could film something on a gopro like cameras are just getting smaller and smaller so when i say dslr basically it's basically saying um greta gerwig who's the star and writer of that movie she and director noam bomback because i know exactly the film you're talking about (laughs) Uh, for budgetary reasons they chose to shoot on stills cameras because it became apparent that you can now shoot on still fat cameras as well. So cameras that are used for photography can also be used for filming. Which is way, way cheaper because film cameras are horrifically expensive. It is cheaper. The quality will not be as good as watching a high-resolution camera that people use these days. Mm. But if that's what you have and that's what you have in your budget, then go for it. But I personally think it looked great. It actually gave it a little bit of a film look about it as well, especially because that film is shot in black and white. So and some advice I would give to any aspiring listeners would be 
um, especially if you want to get started, is just invest in a good camera. Mm. Invest in a good camera that can ha- chuck on some lenses and do everything you want to do. And you just go out and experiment with it. Because I use DSLR cameras myself. I use mirrorless cameras, which basically, so when I was talking about Canon 5Ds, they're these big, bulky cameras mirrorless cameras are thinner so they're lighter so you can put on heavier things you could put an external monitor on you can put a bigger lens on you can do more with it um but already i want something bigger because you always you always have to keep up with the technology you always have to keep up with the technology that's kind of a short abbreviated version of what a cinematographer does and talk forever about editing (laughs) then after university i thought to myself okay cool i can be a cinematographer and editor much harder than you think to get into those areas because basically what happened was you learn very quickly that to get any job in this industry, it's all networking. Mm. It is all about who, you know, and unfortunately my experience, especially in the film industry as well, there's a click. And if you're not in that click, you're not going to get the opportunities. If that makes sense about like, if you're not in the inner circle, then you're not going to get these opportunities. It sounds a little bit like it's not necessarily an active, like they're not in our friendship group, so we're going to exclude them. Usually it's a very passive, I have this job coming up. I have three friends to choose from. I will pick from those three friends who I will offer the job to. And yes. it's it's very, you're right, it's quite insular and very much in the case of, you know, it's it's not necessarily what you know, although that is very important. It is who you know. It also helps as well knowing what you need to know as well. I mean, like if you can get a job in your department that even if it's like the smallest role, if it is, like I say, like I said before, being the runner, that's a foot in the door that just gets you in the door. And then you basically, you're climbing that pyramid I was talking about where you're basically working your way up one day. You're the runner. Next thing you're the assistant. Next thing you're the second assistant or you're the third, a second or third, first assistant. And then before you know it, you're operating the camera on the show. Yeah. So so what, about, oh, sorry. You go. No, I was going to, yeah, it's just that it's just about, having the right skill set and mindset and the drive to get yourself up there. So my experience was um, I had to basically go to what I did was hustle. I basically spoke to TV studios and companies here in Brisbane who produce TV commercials, because I know that that was, that's what we produce a lot of here. And I spoke to them and just said, Hey, I'm a fresh filmmaker. I want to get out and get some experience. How can I get in? And then they said to me, yeah, that's perfect. We'll let you know. And then you don't hear back from them for weeks. So because anyway, you can send an email, but I guarantee you it gets backlogged. So you've got to call people up instead. So another tip would be email first, call second. If you don't hear from them in a week, call them up because yeah. then they, can, they, they can't ignore your phone calls. So what ended up happening was I just branched out and then I looked up directories of just like crew lists and found cinematographers and I found producers and first assistant directors and assistant directors for your listeners are basically they run the schedules for the day which nobody listens to that just gets thrown out the window but they're basically (laughs) in charge of organizing the day so they know what the start time is what gets filmed and then when you wrap up and I basically just contacted people directly myself and called people up and by some miracle I just was getting opportunities. I was meeting the right people. That doesn't I was not sound like a them. miracle. That sounds like you found a list of people to contact. You contacted them and said, hey, do you have like anything going? And it sounds like, um, but, from what you've said, it sounds like, you know, you're willing to take 
any foot in the door job just so that you can get in there, get your, like, show your face, make some connections, and then look while you're on set for opportunities to show your expertise and to show that, you know, to prove yourself, basically. Yes, exactly that. And um, but I say miracle because I hustled and spoke to at least 30 or 50 people in studios and direct people just so that I could get something to get noticed and get on something. And by I did, I just met the right people. And then suddenly I was working. And then suddenly I was, um, I was even doing jobs that I never would have considered myself experienced in. I ended up getting a You went some, and that's sometimes what you got to do. I was an art department assistant for a little bit and I was getting hired to basically like get props and costumes for the art department to get things needed for TV commercials. But that was a fantastic job because then that gets you a foot in the door. And then on those jobs, as you say, where you're just looking for opportunities, a good tip is to, if you're standing around doing nothing, always ask, what can I do to help? Mm-hmm. Ask someone, what can I do to help? And then they'll meet, introduce you to somebody and then off you go to do something. Or you will just say, if, like, if, that's, if that's already been taken care of, then you go to your head of department and they'll give you something to do. There's always something to do. And another good tip as well is to, that I got taught from a very good friend of mine who's an amazing cinematographer, Brendan Shambrook. He said to me, never stand on set with your arms folded because it looks like you don't give part of my friendship. It doesn't look like you give a fuck. <laughs> it's true. Like it, just make, it, look like it looks like you've got this great opportunity, but you don't care that you're here. And but don't sit on your hands and don't cross your arms. <laughs> or check your phone. Nobody checks their phone on set. It's literally like they are, they encourage you not to take photos because there's NDAs most of the times where you can't take photos or put them on social media, which mm. is something I <laughs> I did get in trouble for. Some people, which um, I, I was on a shoot and I took a behind the scenes photo. And this is with one of my DM moving image clients. I won't say which one if they're listening, <laughs> but I, because um, I want to keep working with these people. Um <laughs> I took a behind the scenes picture of the shoot Mm. and literally two hours later when we wrapped, I got an email from the producer saying, um, so Dominic, um, the client, I won't say who Mm. the client saw that you took a picture on your Instagram and, um, you got to take that down because, um, you didn't sign NDAs or anything like that. Oh crap. I'm so sorry, Mm. Mrs. Smith. I didn't mean to do that. I'll take it down right away because yeah, there's just legalities and things that you've got to obey. Yeah. So, like, if you're going to do sort of promoing and stuff, just make sure that if you don't take your phone on set, but also make sure that you clear it with the powers that be before you post anything. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I've got friends who worked on who worked on Thor Ragnarok or worked on Pirates of the Caribbean when they were filming those here, and they had to hand their phones in at the beginning of the day. I literally mm-hmm. remember recall chatting to, and this is if any actors are listening or extras that are listening who want to get into this industry, don't take your phone on set because, and this is a true story. I'm, I worked with an extra a lovely bloke who now lives in Sydney and he's actually now a full-time actor and he's doing really well. He told me a story. He was an extra on Thor Ragnarok and he was like an Asgardian warrior. It's the scene in the movie. Kate Blanchett is fighting the Asgard soldiers and they all, she basically kills them all because she's a boss. But the, all the guys are sitting down, all the extras and actors are sitting down waiting to be called and waiting for to be called on set. And then, one of the actors and extras forgot to take his phone, hand his phone in and he's taking selfies in the outfit. And then behind him is the director, Taika Waititi. <laughs> and he goes like, bro, what are you doing? This is Marvel. You can't take pictures. Get off my set. And he got, and the guy got sacked. Mm. Hey, 
Or another extra I met was um, he took a picture of the monitor because there's a scene in a bar where Johnny Depp walks, Jack Sparrow walks in and he's covered in mud. He's like, that's me in the background with Johnny Depp. Mm. And um, Disney found out and then he didn't get asked to call back the next day. Mm. Yeah. So you've got to be super careful with these things and just always, always, like, it's just common sense. I mean, we spend enough time on our phones as it is. Like I have a rule where it's like once a week, probably on my Sundays, I try not to go on my phone. Mm. which my partner and I struggle with because we have <laughs> many, we have very active social lives. Um, but again, yeah, so then after getting a bit of experience on TV commercials, that was really great to see and get my foot in the door and I was getting really cool opportunities. And I also, at the time, this is like 2017, 2018 now, so this was only a few years ago where I was with a crew booking agency and they help you get on jobs. And this, and I won't say which one, but I think anyone who's listening might know which crew I'm talking about. But you pay like, <laughs> you pay like eighty nine, ninety, ninety dollars a month of membership. Wait, that you you were paying them. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're paying, you're paying to be in their books, pretty much. But by being in their books, it makes it, you look better because it's like, oh, he's got a bit more experience, which is I found really interesting. And what I learned was like, okay, wait, so you pay them a subscription fee in order to be on their books. And just being on their books makes you look more experienced or people are more likely to find you and therefore you can get the experience. People are more likely to find you and get booked pretty much, which is how it goes. Um, But in my experience, I only did that for about six months because there were times where I wasn't getting booked and I'm still paying to be Mm. in their books. It looks much better for you to get work, but there there were times where you didn't get any jobs in the month and you start to pay that fee but i was i'm just very fortunate because i know enough people and networked with enough people to get what direct bookings and when i say direct bookings i mean these people remember you they remember your face they remember your number they remember the skill sets that you have and you made an impression you made a good enough impression on these people to get hired back so rather than going through a booking agency or a crew agency to find you they'll call you up directly so if you accumulate enough experience to meet the right people, then you get direct bookings. I get a call from a John Smith and just be like, Dom, are you free to come this for a TV commercial shoot this week? I'm like, 100%. Sounds great. <laughs> um, I can take a week off flipping burgers. Sure. The other thing too, as well, like if you're going to pursue this industry as well, just is, is to um, you would re- yeah, I would recommend you have a job on the side, just a survival just, job, like just we a survival job to pay, have to. pay your rent. You've got to do it because, and you, even though you know it's not the end game, it's it pays your bill and those people feed your bellies and pay your rent and pay your bills. And I you never know when it'll come in handy. But one of those jobs, like I did have to turn down Aquaman for a few days because nobody could cover. Yeah. And there's a true story. Nobody could cover my shift. <gasps> and I had to basically call up Warner brothers and say, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Sure. I, I think I told them a lie and said that I was busy on another job when I actually had to go, work at the bar that night it was well it wasn't like it wasn't a lie you said you were working on another job that job just happened to have nothing to do with filming but yeah can you imagine Warner Brothers being called up and being like oh yeah sorry I can't come into work today I've got to do my glassy job like my dude you ain't getting called back do not do not tell them that and that's exactly what happened to me so to listeners I would say if you have an opportunity like that fucking take it Make it quit the glassy job. You never know. You could be hanging out with Jason Momoa himself on a rock one day. You never know. It's just like, but that's what I mean. You never know who you're going to meet. That's what I mean. I look back at that opportunity and think to myself that 
that was an opportunity I missed out on. It wasn't a complete loss because um, they tried to call me back again, actually. But that time I actually was on a commercial. That holding commercial I was telling mm. you about before, I was already on that for the week. So I actually had a legitimate excuse to not go on that one. Well, they're both but, legitimate, but yeah. Both it's, legitimate, yeah. So, so really, if the opportunities come about, take them. Mm. And so then this is about a year. I'm listening that by now. We're about three years into the industry. And there was a part of me that realized that I then had a self-care day. I think I, I think I was I think I was literally at my favorite place in the world, Strabrook Island on a beach and realized that I actually myself, since probably my university days, didn't have any work that I could say was mine. That I could say that this is what I've shot. This is what I've directed. This is what I've done. And I thought to myself, look, if I'm going to get anywhere in this industry or in this career that I've chosen, I need to start building a portfolio of work that isn't just like the assistant on a commercial that no one's going to remember in a few years time. Yeah, that's the thing about... No disrespect to the opportunities I had. It's more just like I personally felt that I had, I wanted to take a break and I wanted to build a portfolio of work that I could say was mine that and also reteach myself cameras and editing software and remind myself that I did a degree in film that I can use these skills in not just a large scale, but in a more localized sense. So I launched in 2018 or 2017, like around the same time I launched my my videography company, Dominic Murphy Moving Image, which was basically me saying, this is me, this is what I offer. And I wanted to get into, I also saw the change in the times in that clients and people want content thicker and faster as well because everything's going online now everything is switching into the online platforms people and companies and studios they want social media content they want online promos at more reasonable prices they don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars they want a couple thousand dollars spent on something or they want hundreds of dollars spent on something and i saw this as an opportunity for me to a also invest in some gear and also rebuild let, uh, my producer brain a little bit to figure out budgeting and how to get those skill better myself in those skills but also just as i said to build a portfolio of work that i could happily say this is mine and i thought no one's gonna listen to me i'm just some white british dude in brisbane who thinks he's cool <laughs> but um it surprisingly took off i was like one of my biggest clients to grab was judo australia because judo is very big in my family and also that's another thing to do as a filmmaker or a content creator, whatever I label myself as, is to find stuff that you're passionate about and incorporate it into your work. So judo, for example, has been a part of my family all my life. I used to compete in it. My dad, who's 65 years young, still competes in it and is hopefully going to the world championships next year. Go Dom's dad. Hey, I know. Big opportunity. Um, and then he got me in and then for the last three times in a row i've filmed the judo nationals where basically all the states get together and then i get to do like fun fight clip montages and interviews this year was great in particular because we got to interview we had just come out of a lockdown and it was great because we didn't go in 2020 and it was all about how great it is to be back and there's a strong narrative feel to that and that they were a great client to grab and yeah. work with and still work with today 
on that topic, we'll go back to, you know, that space between uni and like when you're in that swamp in a minute, but how did you build your client base and your credibility? Because, you know, as you say, you know, you'd already had some experience. So you'd worked on some projects, you did have some experience, you could put things on your resume, but then coming into building your own business, how did you build your client base? How did you get people to trust you that you knew what you were doing? So similar to getting work in commercials and music videos and TV shows, I just contacted businesses and I contacted people I knew that would want things done. And I also recalled, like I approached shops and businesses that I liked that wanted stuff done. I approached corporations that I knew would want things done. I basically just like spammed people, spam people and call people exactly the same process, just in a much smaller right. way. So you did, you did your research into like, okay, who do I know who and what sort of businesses do I know would need this content, which I can create and then sort of created that list and got in touch with them and said, Hey, this is what I can do. You should hire me because it'll help you do X, Y, Z. Yes, exactly. And, um, I basically said to myself, said to them as well that I was at the time I was a new business and just starting up and they was aware, they were aware that I was new to this, but then also they also didn't have a lot of money as well. So it was an opportunity for me Mm. to, because at the end of the day, I didn't care about the money. I just cared about the experience and it allowed me just to like figure out how to quote for jobs like this to say like, I basically, whenever I meet new people, especially if I get a coffee invite, I always sit down with, I always offer a sit down meeting. So I would go to them in person before we even say yes to any projects we'd have a cup of coffee or we would just have a meeting over or at the moment it could be over zoom or teams and we would just talk about what they would want produced it could be a promo for their online platform it could be a little tiktok video it could be something for their instagram feed it could be something for an event that they're running that they want filmed so you just get to know the client and get to know what it is especially if it's a new company or a new business like the one i was chatting with today who have no video or film content, that's a golden opportunity. So that's the other thing too. I got into the habit of going onto this big social media platform we have today and you look at local businesses or places that don't have a lot of film content and then you go, hey, do you want something filmed? Or you just say to them, what can we work on that you would like filmed? It's a good end to get like build their client, build their business, but also build your own as well. Right. So what I'm hearing is like, first off, you manage the expectations in terms of like, at first you started out and said, look, I'm just starting out. This is where I'm at. And so you manage their expectations of what your abilities were. Um, but you know, that kind of goes hand in hand in terms of like, you're starting out, so you're not going to charge them as much, but then as you get more experience, you'll charge them more. And so like, that's sort of the sweet spot with clients with like a really, really limited budget so that you can both benefit. The other thing that you talked about was, you know, meeting people in person. And so to kind of have that connection, but understanding exactly what they wanted. So sort of setting expectations as well in that way. So yeah, you can understand what they want. They feel really heard and you, you understand like exactly who you're dealing with and they know what they're going to get out of it. It's a more personal connection too, because mm. you feel like and in comparison to those big jobs where there are hundreds of people who work on those jobs, you, you're the one-on-one person. You're all those people in one package and it makes it more personal. And I like to think that I can offer a, serv- a service that's similar to that on a more budgetary scale. Yeah. So I don't have to go to those people. But also, it, as I say, even when I first started out, I was... First of all, you're nervous because you want to do a good job so that you get rehired. But as you just mm. mentioned, it was like the more I did it, 
I then let you increase your rates over time. And then you go into more detail about, about what you can offer in terms of packages. And then as the business has taken off over the last few years, I basically, you then have the confidence to say to people, okay, I've got a few clients in my pocket now. I can think I can charge more. And by charging more, it also re- incorporates the gear that you've bought, the software that you use, your travel expenses, anything that you've invested in your business that you can recuperate back as well. Mm, okay. But also to have an income as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's especially and um, especially in running your own business as well. Some of the things that they actually don't teach you at film school is how to handle your taxes and receipts and invoices. That's something I had to learn myself. And I've got a freelance photographer brother, Kieran. And for those listeners, Kieran Murphy, he's a great photographer. You should work with him. <laughs> he, um, not plugging my family or anything. Um, We've got the moving image and the still image. The still image, exactly. Um, yeah. He's a good he was very influential and thinking to be like, you've got to get on this early because that was something that they did not teach me from my memory that they, it was all self-taught stuff. Yeah. And- you have to do the business end of a creative career. Like I think so many people concentrate on the actual creating part, which is incredibly important. That's exactly what you're selling. But if you also don't equip yourself with the skills, as you say, to do your tax return, to learn how to market yourself, to learn how to negotiate, to learn how to spot a shitty client when they show themselves. Paula, it literally takes me a week sometimes to do my tax return because Mm -hmm. I have to do it all myself. I have an accountant that that manages all of my expenses for me and deals with the ATO. Um, unless I worked, there was a brief period where I did have a full-time job as an editor, as a full-time editor. So taxes and that was all covered, mm. but, um, similar thing, like you realize that's not for me. And I went back to the freelance world, but then in the working for your own business, it's literally like, I have apps on my phone that I have a whole spreadsheet for income and expenses. I have receipts for everything. I log kilometers whenever I get in my vehicle, my car or another person's car to log kilometers because you can claim kilometers on the business. Mm. Even though, And any receipts for gear you've bought, you've got to keep those. I have a whole app on my phone just for receipts. It's insane. But with the more and more experience you have over that time and like I've gotten so much better at that. And the other thing too is to get into the habit, especially if you're looking to start your own business, when paychecks come through, put money away for super and put mm. money away for taxes because that's honestly stuff being somebody who's in nearly in his thirties that you've got to get on much sooner rather than later. Because if you have a full-time gig, super's taken care of. That's nice. That's great. If you're running your own business, you've got to do it, my friend. And, yeah. you, and when you get that big bill from the ATO that you're saying that you owe them tax money, you've got to make sure you have that money. Otherwise, yeah. like when, I, when I first started out, I was not prepared for that. Now, every single time I get paid for a job, 20% goes to taxes, a good amount goes into my savings, the rest is for spending, and then I'll probably put about 10% away in super just mm. to cover my ass so that you're prepared. So that's something yeah. if you're going to get into this in, in the, your own business side that you want to do, that's something I would recommend for you 100% is to and sure. keep receipts for everything, seriously. Yeah, no, literally keep the receipts. Hmm. <laughs> but um, I guess going back to, you know, that... <laughs> That space between uni and your first proper job or, you know, like as you're starting to actually be in the world, it's, it's so difficult. I, it's so, so hard to be in that space, not just mentally, but also like in your career. So how did you navigate that swamp? And do you have any tips for people who might be doing that now? A tip would be just to surround yourself with good people. 
surround yourself with good friends who are always in your corner that can listen to your struggles, but also help you as well and just be there for you at the same time. So I had, I'm fortunate to have a very good social circle of people who were always there for me. But also I was talking before about how important travel is. Travel. Travel is also is a good thing for me to do. Like whenever I get a spare weekend or a bit of time, I love to hike. So in that gap, I like I would always like go to a national park for a few days and a mental state is to be outside and just like take your thoughts with you and just clear your, clear your head if you need to as well. So exercise was a good thing. Taking that's a good way to, that was I found that as a good way to keep myself mentally stable. And even though when there were times where I felt like I wasn't working, you're always aware of what's going on in the industry. You're watching. I have a rule where every week I watch a new film, for example. So I'd be watching new films every week, like trying to keep myself aware of new filmmakers, actors I like, um, all sorts of things. So you like, and also it's good for your creative brain to like figure out, oh maybe this is a good opportunity to write something. So I would be, I'm not the best screenwriter for like narrative stuff, but I would always be, I would, I was also talking to friends out of uni who are directors who had ideas for stories that they wanted to tell or documentaries that they wanted to make. And we would talk about projects or if you yourself had a project like I did, like I'm always trying to get, I would love to invest in like a branch out with DM moving image to do um, more documentary style stuff. I think that's the end game goal is to do that. But at that time, Exercise was key to that health, surrounding yourself with good people, always doing something creative, try and do something creative, like watch a film, go see a play, go listen to some music for inspiration. We're, we're fortunate to have the internet as an amazing tool in that you can find anything. So I was just always looking for inspiration, in the most craziest of places. And if you have a camera, I was just going out and photographing and filming stuff, anything just to create my creative juices flowing. I think it's so important to like I was saying before, to have a drive to keep yourself motivated. And whereas now in this situation years later, if I have a spare five minutes, I just want to switch off. I just want to like switch <laughs> off. And like, and honestly, or more importantly, it's like take a break from screens. Like I'm try- I read books or I'll go for a long walk, especially in this current world we live in where you work mm. walking all the time. Walking is so good. So I think those are the things at the time I did to help myself. And that, even then, those are the things that I still have today yeah. myself. and like I'm also lucky to have a supportive partner who knows that I'm a struggling artist some days and I'll have a whinge about it but then when I'm really busy I say ah oh, I'm so busy I, I need a break and then she's like oh I bet you wish you were quiet now <laughs> <laughs> so I guess yeah those would be the tips I would have from that from that experience it's just like always keep your creative juices flowing keep your mental health and capacity and the other thing as well is to exercise too Oh, yes. To exercise. Oh, no. Mm. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. Have you seen that meme where it's just like, I think it's like a grumpy bird or something. It's like me going on my silly little walk for my silly mental health. I haven't, but you summed it up perfectly. Yep. That's that's (laughs) me. I, I wish that I liked exercise. I really, really wish that I liked exercise, but I don't. I really not don't. Any, not even any lockdown walks. I mean, I like walking and I like hiking, but and I, I like dancing, but I don't, you know, I like doing those things to move my body. And so that's what I try and do to trick myself into doing exercise without mm. realizing I'm doing exercise. But at the same time, like there's certain things where it's just not super feasible. Like I would love to go on long hikes but not super feasible 
because one, not a morning person. I am not going to be waking up at 5 a.m. to drive out to Mount Barney so that I can hike up. Not happening. Not also, happening. I'm going to say the opposite here for the listeners and that like you've got to be a morning person and a night person for this industry. Oh. Whether it's because you've got to get into the habit of being up early. Like if you're doing 10, 12 hour days on those big jobs, you've got to start time. That The director will want the sunrise shot. You've got to be at the Gold Coast for 6 a.m. start time and you've only got one window or you've got to be in a rainforest till 10 o'clock at night if you need to be just because the mist is better. It was like, well, you dickhead, we can't see anything. It's just like, <laughs> the mist is better? The mist is better or the light is better, I think it was. It was like ah. one of the things I've heard. Well, I guess like you just got to find a way to, to manage that. Like if it were me having to go over to a ridiculous sunrise shot like I, I would be booking myself accommodation on the Gold Coast as close to the place that I had to be as possible because I, I know myself, I can, I can stay up, but I cannot just like go to sleep and get up at a ridiculous time. Like I'm, I'm a night owl. I always have been. And I'm starting to, you know, while I am trying to take care of myself in terms of sleep hygiene and getting into a rhythm and all that jazz, like I, I just know myself well enough to be like, hmm, that's going to be a problem. How do I solve that? Mm. <laughs> yeah thank you so much for talking about that some other things that you mentioned I think and not only in that stage where you sort of doing your research but that's also part of your creative process like keeping your creative juices flowing is also to do with you know investing in learning about the industry and like you say you know you you can make it fun too like it's fun to watch a new film every week at least so mm-hmm. you can find ways where it doesn't feel like a slog well, we're also spoiled today with TV shows. I'd argue that TV is better than film at the moment because in the terms of film, you have a two-hour window where you're investing in a character, but in TV shows, you've got a really expansive, long period of time to invest in these shows, Like especially in, these last, especially in the lockdown where we had a lot of time to catch up on shows. Like One of my favourite shows of the last year was Normal People. Oh, God. I just loved. It's such a simple, such a simple story but told so well. Or another one I loved was um, Fleabag. Oh my God, Fleabag. It's a brilliant (gasps) comedy from Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So two shows I can recommend for the listeners would be Fleabag and Normal People. Both from BBC. Both from BBC, yes. Or um, this year, if we're going to branch out and go America, like this year, two of my favourite shows are um, Mayor of Easttown and currently Ted Lasso. (laughs) Which are both good fun. So, I mean, because honestly as well, like you need a bit of creativity and juices to like see what other people are doing. And also it's just a good, even creative stuff or more like, or documentaries too. I fell in love with watching as well, because I think long-term I'd love to get into more documentaries. Mm. I fell in love with doing that. I did a job last year with Queensland Health where we were talking with um, nurses and doctors about how important nurses are in our health industry and how they need more funding to go to more remote places. My girlfriend is a nurse and she's just nodding like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we love nurses. We need nurses. I don't understand why there isn't more funding. Like, where where is it going? If not to nurses, if not to schools, hmm. like where, where, where is the money going? Where is the money going? But that was a good... Car parks and key electorate areas. I mean, what? Sorry. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> what? But yeah, that was a good um, foot into like, just like meeting interesting people that have really interesting stories and sharing their stories. That's something yeah. I would love to do 
more. I think that's the future. That's going to be the future direction for the business. I think is to get out of events and do more human interest stories. That's what I love to. And look at a dream world. If we could travel and be like David Attenborough and go around the world and film beautiful planets, that would be the dream too. But yeah, we'll see. Awesome. Um, okay, so quick rapid fire round, and then we will get to the things I've never said segment. So in rapid fire, invoicing receipts. Invoices. Um, so there's a combination of that. For invoice, so receipts, I kind of covered it already in that you've always got to keep your receipts. Have an app on your phone that can keep receipts as a good log when it comes to financial year. What um, app do you of, use? It's a good question. Let me bring it up for you. I literally have, the listeners can't see, but there's literally a film section on my phone, which is just all the apps I have to keep for everything from invoicing software to drone software to emails, <laughs> viewfinders. So the app I use for receipts is for FO Receipt. So FO Receipt. And that basically, you take a picture of any receipt you have and it logs it for you Ooh. over time. Um, invoicing, I use a software called invoice to go which is a $20 a month software, which keeps all my clients in one place. And then I just basically log it. And then same thing with financial, it just logs how much has been invested. Or irritating things sometimes you have to do is you have to log who's paid you, who's not paid you as well. Oh, which, yes. Normally, debtors. <laughs> so like in a, in a large scale world, in a film world, you have if it's a TV commercial, it's a 30-day turnaround to get paid. If it's a short TV commercial, it's seven to 14 days. So you just always include that time of delivery payment in your invoice. Whereas in my business, I offer all three packages. It's seven days, 14 days, and 30 days. It really depends on also how long the editing process takes. Mm -hmm. So, and invoicing as well, it's just like you just got to come up, know your budgets and know your quotes. So you'd have to go away to a project and figure out how much that's going to cost. So I always, me personally, I always quote people before I invoice them because you can start with a quote, but then you'll invoice them a different price later because like they'll want to make changes later on that you didn't quote before or they've asked for something extra that wasn't originally quoted. And it's always important when people do that to then say, yeah, we can do that, but it's also going to like bring up the cost. And even if you just flag that like in a rough way, like it'll cost you roughly $100 more yes. um, than originally quoted because that's an important you know, aspect just to manage expectations, but also to say, okay, well, like mm. there is value to what I do. Well, yeah, another thing that you could add to that as well is I have a contract agreement. So if it's contract work or freelance work, I basically get clients to sign a contract that says, yes, I agree to this quote. I agree to this price. And I agree that if we go over budget, then I'll pay this fee. Or a big one is if this thing goes onto social media or any online platforms, they have to accredit me before it goes online. Mm. If otherwise, that's a proper, there's a theft issue and that's a property issue. That's yeah. I, before it goes online, I own the footage until the client has paid me and it's been done. Then they can do whatever they like with the footage, but also like they've got to credit me on Instagram or Facebook or wherever it goes, because that is also a good avenue for your business to get future work as well. So that's, there's two things that I felt are really important for us to just reaffirm there. The first is I was doing like a full body nod when you were talking about contracts. I am a big believer in contracts. I'm a lawyer's daughter and goddamn, like do it. Yes. Do it. Create a contract. It doesn't have to have, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to have legal mumbo jumbo. It just has to be really clear and you have to read and understand everything before you sign it. And it can just be one page. Yeah. It's just one page, takes five minutes to look over. And seriously, people do it. Every single mm -hmm. client. 
it's that because it happened once where I sent something out and I didn't credit, credit it and I said, right, well, that's never happening again. And it's never mm. happened since. So 100%. Yeah. And I think that that is a really, really important thing because when you are a creative, intellectual property is incredibly important. So like you were saying, you know, before you hand over the final product, it's all yours. And then someone has paid you for that to be sure. So now they own that footage and they can do what they want with it. However, they should still credit you. And that is important as a creator to say, yes, you own this, this footage is yours, but you need to credit me because I am the one who created it. And it's very important for you as a business to get those backlinks, to get those mentions, to put your name out there. It's a two-way street. So then both parties get something out of it really at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I totally agree. All right. Next one, gear and insurance. Mm-hmm. So gear and insurance is very important. So like, like I said before, invest in good gear. It could be a few thousand dollars. And you could also, what I had to do most times is um, you take a loan out. with like a, a zip money pay, repayment loan. So you just pay it off over time. So don't spend $6,000 at once. Take a loan out and pay it off over time. So you could basically, I could basically walk into a shop tomorrow and walk out with a $5,000 camera and not pay anything and then just pay that off over time. So I would say that it's very important to buy within your means though. Like but yes, pay is it still, is very paying. Yes. still debt, still debt. But also, re- but also in terms of gear research as well, research and compare the market about what are the best cameras and what is the right thing to do. So, and like, not the right thing to be like, know what gear you want, know what lenses you want, what kind of sound equipment you want. And just like, invest over time. You're not going to buy it all at once. You buy it over years. You accumulate this stuff over time. And then you just, so yeah, it just seems important to research what gear you want, invest in a good camera and invest in the right gear that will do the job for your business. And also in a larger scale environment in film world, just like get the right tools you need if you're an assistant or get the right stuff that is needed for a large scale job. And in terms of insurance, 100%, it's very important. I only very recently just got my insurance sorted because I'm an idiot because I am, um, because it's so important in terms of like thievery and damage. If that gear gets damaged or destroyed or something happens to it, if you have your insurance, then it's covered. The so, insurance- sorry. So it's it's gear insurance. It's not just insurance like public liability or um, life insurance or, or whatever. No. So it's a separate thing. So you basically have to go to a bro an insurance broker, and then you give them a list of all the stuff you own. Especially if you're somebody that doesn't have home insurance for example like somebody could just walk in and nick your stuff and then oh Mm. crap i've lost all my stuff um so if you have gear insurance then basically as i said before if the stuff gets damaged or destroyed water damage whatever it may be you have insurance that covers it to get it replaced fixed or afford to get new stuff that's better if you want to um like recently for example my drone crashed and it was like watching a child get injured when you see Aww. it was very sad. Your baby. It was, uh, it was quite sad, but then, but it still flew afterwards and we got the job done, but it was still quite scary. Um, but um, because it was insured, I basically got it sent to DJI manufacturing Melbourne and it got, basically I got a brand new drone because it was insured and it was covered and it was in the, within the warranty time as well. So I would 100% say, get insurance if you're going to spend the dollars on good gear because it just covers you and then you know you don't have to worry about anything and it just puts your mind at ease. So there's two things that you mentioned. The first thing is warranties, which I agree. I think that it's very important to make sure that you know the warranty period for your gear, sort of a, a rough idea of the warranty 
policy around the gear and then, you know, make sure that you know when it expires so that if there's a case like yours, you know, you can pursue that. And the second thing, um, so we've talked about gear insurance, which is from a third party, right? So it's not the person that you buy it from and it's not you. You go to an insurance broker, you find an insurance company that will insure that and you pay them like a fee or something. Yep. And you can do that upfront or you can do it monthly. It's entirely up to you and your financial circumstances, how you want to do it. Cool. Do you feel comfortable sharing which insurance provider you're with? Obviously, like do your own research, folks. Like, you, I honestly uh, can't remember their name. <laughs> well, there you go. All I care is that it's covered. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. And then last one, prepping for a job. So what would you do like a week out and then the night before and then like when you get on set? So those three sort of key time periods. That's a good what? question. So for there are two ways so two two different ways you can do about doing this so for a film industry job like a tv commercial or something it's you talk to your head of department and you learn what it is their job is you learn where you're going to go and you just get confirmed for that and then the next step would be if it's the day before especially or if it's in the build-up to that check with your head of department to make sure if there's anything you need to get beforehand or bring to set and they'll sometimes say yes or no. You just figure out what they are want from that. And then when it's the night before, go to bed super duper early because you will receive a call sheet that will tell you what your start time is. Most times on those kind of things, they're a 10-hour day. So they normally start about 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. start times and you wrap later that day because you have to legally have a 10-hour turnaround. Hmm. And that will contain all the information about where you need to go, what the props are, what's happening in the day, and it just lays that day out. And that's that's a pretty simple way for that industry direction. In terms of what I do for my business at Dominic Murphy Moving Image, um, like I said before, I always like to meet the person face-to-face so we can get to know. Because I, I, at the end of the day, I want to make sure I gel well with the people and that I feel like we can have a good working relationship. And we sit down, we talk about what they want. I can talk about with them what I can offer. And then I will then basically, and then if it's a mini, like if I'm at the location where we're going to be filming, I'll take pictures of where we're going to be filming, or I'll take notes about how it's lit or how it's done up as well. And then I'll go away. I'll come up with a quote for the rates that I charge, but also how much I think the project is worth in terms of filming time and editing time. And then after that, I will go and do a shot list to prepare myself so I'm not just shooting blind. If it's a corporate promo for an online TV commercial, then it would be a more structured shot list. If it's an event like the trail running videos that I do, for example, or the judo videos I do, I can't do a shot list for that because I literally just have to look for the best shots and just go off and film and then pick epic music and just like (laughs) things and then let the shots do the work for you in that scenario. And then I also would find music as well or any graphics that I create or I source through an external company that I pay for and then begin the editing process from that. And then I would talk to the client about back and forth about edits and they go, yes, no, change this, add this. This is awesome. Done. Perfect. Amazing. All right. And now thank you so much for, thank you so much for running through that. Now it's time for the things I've never said segment where we accept anonymous submissions and confessions from our listeners on the topic we discuss. So first submission is, do you have any tips for aspiring filmmakers? Watch things, watch films, watch TV shows, just see what's out there and just keep the creative juices flowing. Like watch and learn about a director that you like, learn about a film series that you like, or if you wanted to get into, if there's a particular role you want to get into, like, for example, if you like 
production does if you said to me i love production design i wanted to get into production design i'd say to you watch wes anderson films they look amazing mm. it's painting or if you want to watch cinematography look at cinematographers and look up how those films are shot yeah um, a good um or listen to, if you wanted to get into sound turn, look, shut your eyes off and just listen to the sound of a film like look whatever department it is you want to do or whatever role you want to be look at films and, and tv shows in a different way and as i said before for aspiring filmmakers always do something creative like have a project on the go or do something that keeps your juices flowing like for example a thing i currently do is i film one second a day so i currently have a short little montage that i'm working on on my phone it could just be cooking it could be going for a walk it could be going on a hike but at the end it all becomes cut together into one long little clip which is like Mm -hmm. a little time capsule for the year so have a good project that you can do that keeps you busy networking is also a big thing so go to events and talk to people and just it could be a Q&A. A good um, source for events is Screen Queensland. They always have lots of things going on. Or the ACS, the Australian Screen Cinematography Society, um, or the branch, look for the branches. Those guys are always doing events that are going on. So look for events where you can meet people and learn stuff. And you'd be surprised there's so many things out there. And another thing too, if you're aspiring, is watch tutorials. So if you want to, like, especially for I'm a few years into it myself and I'm still reminding myself I sometimes have to go onto YouTube and do After Effects tutorials to better my graphic skills or my color grading skills sometimes. So if there's something you want to get better at, watch tutorials. The like There are so many great tutorials out there for you to learn about as well. And especially talking about those roles, the same before, same thing. You'll learn so much if you look online for things. Yeah, amazing. I think that all of those are really really good tips. And it's things that you can incorporate, whether you're working your survival job or you're working on a creative job or you're working, you know, full-time in a job that meh, you know? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Our second submission is, do you have any pointers for graduates who are working IRL on set for the first time? Asking questions, like I said before, is always a good one. People love it when you ask questions because it shows you're curious and it shows that you're interested. If you're going- And that you give a shit. And that you give a shit, exactly. Or like I said before, never have your arms folded. Like just look interested and ask questions about what I can do. How can you help? Because that seriously, that helps you get on other jobs. Or if you can, if you see somebody that's standing by themselves, just go have a conversation with them. And then, or if they're sitting by themselves at lunch, talk with them because you never know this person could be somebody you work with down the line. And I guess also like on those kind of jobs is just um, learn the protocols a little bit. See how people work one of the best things you could do is like watch people work and just see how they work because seriously sometimes by watching cinematographers work watching how assistants work how assistant directors work you see how they work and the passion that they have and then you'd be like okay that person did a really cool thing that i'm going to remember when i go into a job next time and me myself i still do this all the time i learn something new on every job i'm still learning you learn stuff all the time and that could be a good thing or a bad thing if you make a mistake that's fine you pick up and you learn from it. Life is full of mistakes, but we grow from it. Or if you have a positive thing, you take away those positives. You take away the positives and negatives from a job. You can walk away from a job and be like, okay, what worked well, what didn't work well. So look at the pros and cons of situations and learn from them and grow from them because that will make you a better filmmaker. Yeah, I'm, I'm nodding so vigorously that you can hear the little pearls on my earrings clicking together. <laughs> All right. Final submission that we can talk about tonight is what gigs pay the best? I need money for my feature, lol. Well, if you're working on your feature film, congratulations. 
for one thing. I know that's a very hard thing to do. And I wish you all the best of luck because you're already doing the right thing and doing what you love and doing something creative and something you love. So congratulations to you. Best advice, literally just take the work you can get seriously. You could do weddings. You can do real estate. There is so much, like I was saying before, there are so people want things thick and fast. There's almost anything and everything that you can think of to do to get your funding for jobs. And sometimes like, I do, I like to call some jobs I do the bread and butter jobs. Sometimes you have to do the really boring jobs that you don't want to do, but they pay your bills and they have your income, but then they fund your big jobs, like your feature films. Sometimes you have to do the jobs you don't want to do. Sometimes we have to do work that's not going to win us an Academy Award or an ARIA. It's like you have to do these things that you know will go towards more fun projects, more things that are going to do. So literally just like hustle. I know it's going to be hard to say but like you just gotta keep your head up and go firm at it and just take the work you can get even if you don't want to do it and just take it with stride and pride even if nobody's going to watch it in the millions but it will go towards your feature film and if it does and it gets you a little bit further to where you want to go for the budget then go for it you should also if that's something that they want to do is look at grants for things as well and try and fi- apply for grants for those things. If that's something they want to do is look at how they can get a grant for something like as a screen Queensland is a good avenue. Just look at the studios and the companies and see if they offer fundings or screen grants to help you with those things, whether that's the screenwriters guild or director attachments, like there are so many avenues to do. So I'd say look for grants and also look for those jobs that you don't want to do, but you know, will go towards the better project at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, even if like that job, your bread and butter job, like it may not necessarily only give you money, you know, you're still able to hone your skills and get faster and get better and get more qualified on those jobs. Yes, it's it's shit. Like, you know, but unfortunately, even when you're doing what you love, you still have to do stuff that bores you to tears. Yeah. Paula, there are jobs on, that will never make my show real. <laughs> say that. <laughs> that I can guarantee you. There are jo- or there are jobs of, that I would never do again, but they funded more fun ones because we, we have to do it. Yeah. Have to do it. yeah. You just gotta. Hmm. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time, Dom. Lastly, final question is, what would you do if you knew 10,000 people would do the same? I'd say let's all go to the bar and have a drink. Is that COVID safe? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> if it's an open air bar and everyone's... Open air bar and they like... Thing? And if they're like me and they like gin like a good gin and tonic on a Friday night, then let's go for it. <laughs> It'll be a rave, which Excellent. is something I think we could all, or a rave or festival. Or, or better yeah, let's, let's expand on that. Let's get a drink and go to a concert because I miss live music. Mm. That's good. I like that. Mm. Sort of trying to push everyone to just sort of come together in the ways that it's possible because at the end of the day, that's what matters, right? Well, I also think music is a language we all can speak as well. Mm. Oh, that's nice. Music is a language we all can speak. Put that on a t-shirt. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, would you thank you so, so much for your time and for sharing all of your insights with me, Dom. I really, really appreciate that. I'm sure that everyone is going to get a lot out of this. Is there any way that we can support you? Is there anything you'd like to plug? Well, you can contact me via my website on dmovingimage.com. You can also reach me on my Instagram, dm underscore movingimage, where I have a lot of my most recent work in behind the scenes. I'm always open to new collaborations and workers. So just 
shout me a message, slip into my DMs, and just uh, we can hopefully we can find something there. But I mean, yeah, I'm always doing something. The joy of my work is there's always something different going on each week. That's what keeps my creative juices flowing. So you can find me online. I'm all over the present or. Paula and I are good friends, so I'm sure she could give you my details as well if you wanted to get in contact with me for any work-related reasons as well. Heck yeah. Although I must say I have a very thorough screening process. I, I won't just pass on any old person. So, you know, make sure it's a good project. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be sending Dom any requests for him to, I don't know, film you mowing the lawn. It would be a very slow-grown job, yeah. Not yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not it. (laughs) But anyway, thank you again, Dom. And thank you, of course, for listening. Thanks as always to Zane at That's Not Canon Productions for producing the show. Graphics are by Claudia Pickett. Music is by Jessica Fletcher. And editing is now by Dominic Guilfoyle, which is really exciting. Yay. Um, If you stumbled upon us, don't forget to rate and review the podcast and the episodes. You can do it for individual episodes on Apple Podcasts. It helps the algorithm tell other people about us and maybe they'll like us too. Also, it just makes me really happy to see new reviews. You can find us on Instagram at StumbleThroughPod and Facebook at StumbleThroughPodcast. Until next time, do your best and take care of each other. Chat soon. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 